Welcome to the Gottesdienst crowd, where we foster confessional integrity, liturgical preservation, and preaching that doesn't stink. We believe that the historic liturgy of the divine service is more than mere cobwebs of antiquity, but it is a true treasure of the Church to be dusted off and brought down from her attic to be enjoyed. So let's get dusting. Welcome back to the Gottesdienst crowd. This is Jason Broughton. Today, we're taking up the topic of generational animosities. Uh, We're looking at the besetting sins of the various generations, boomers, Gen X, millennials, Zoomers, maybe. Uh, What are their blind spots? What are the primary faults? And so in this discussion, we're going to be looking at generalities. Uh, We're going to be talking about things or making arguments of probability on the whole and for the most part. So uh, that doesn't mean that there might not be someone out there who doesn't fall into those generalities. Um, so please don't email me uh, with, you know, I have an uncle who was at a wedding of a friend whose bridesmaid doesn't fall into this category. Uh, we know that not all X are like that in a general argument like this and a probability argument. We're just looking at on the whole and for the most part. So uh, to help us kind of unpack this this kind of generational animosity is Doug Wilson, uh, the pastor of Christ Church in Moscow, Idaho, and the great incinerator of things in clever ways. So welcome back, Doug. <laughs> yeah, good to be back. Th- thank you for the invitation. Uh, thank, thank you for for agreeing to come back. Um, so, we often hear, you know, boomer hatred, or uh, Gen X hates both boomers and millennials. Millennials hate boomers. We have all of this animosity uh, going right. on among the generations, and so so maybe. And maybe it's not helpful to to point at specific things, but I always find it helpful at least to put a, a finger on what's the name of that. You know, what what can we call that instead of just being angry? What are the besetting sins or the blind spots of these various generations, so that in the in the future uh, we can at least forgive them and then uh, be constructive instead of destructive? So, so what are your thoughts? So sure. What, the first thing I would want to do is to divide the whole thing in two. Like you, you can stack the generations, you know, the mm-hmm. boomers and Gen, and Gen Y, and and you've got the you've got the pancake stack of generations, and uh, but then you have to divide, uh, like cutting the pancake stack down the middle to mm-hmm. t- to define the two distinct problems you have. Um, one problem would be the problem that 50-year-olds have, have always had with 70-year-olds, right? Um, who, um, or, you know, who the kids always have to figure out, when do we take grandpa's car keys away? Right. Um, so, so that's a perennial constant, and every generation is going to, at some point, be in occupying that spot that's exasperating them now. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so that's just part of the cycle of life. Um, sure. You're, you look down, you look down at your two year old or you look at your teenager or you look at your uh, kid out of college who hasn't gotten a job yet. There are perennial issues that are always going to be there for those age core cohorts. All right. So that's one problem. Then there's mm-hmm. the unique then there's the unique, the other side of the pancake stack is the unique personality that these particular generations have. So right. when the when the Gen X generation is the same age as the baby boomers, they will have some characteristics with the boomers in common, but there will be other things that are very different, right? And that, that will be born out of what the society was like when they came of age. Mm-hmm. All right. So um, I was born in 1953. So in 1973, I was 20. And mm-hmm. 1973 was a very different time to be turning 20 than 
it than today is turning 20. Right. <laughs> right. So uh, I turned 20 or I turned 18 or whatever it was in a relatively stable society. Right. Okay. Um, uh, kids today who are about to turn 18 or who are about to turn 20 are, are turning 20 in clown world. Right. Hellscape. And they, they're looking around and said, uh, asking themselves, who did this? (laughs) You know, I've, I've, I've seen movies where it wasn't like the, you know, the the boomers who wrecked all this, um, they, they inherited a world that was much more stable than the world they're handing on to me now. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there's the, there's the perennial problem of how do we take grandpa's car keys away because he's right. gotten to the point where his reflexes aren't so quick. And that's always going to be true of every aging population that, that no matter what, but then Correct. there is, then there's the grandpa who spent the kid's inheritance. <laughs> okay, be- be- before they got there uh, on cockamamie investment schemes, right? Mm-hmm. So there you've got the issue of um, uh, of forgiveness because you're dealing with uh, actual possible sins or mm-hmm. or wise decisions or you're dealing with moral agency. Um, in the first category, you're just dealing with the way the world is. In the second mm-hmm. category, you're dealing with the way Smith is or Murphy or, you know, this particular uh, group of people. Sure. And unfortunately, if you don't make that distinction and you're resentful over grandpa uh, spending the inheritance, you might be way more exasperated over the car key situation than you ought to be. Okay. Right. It's really important that you keep these issues distinct. So then we have to look at scripture and say, well, what are this, what are the um, strengths of various generations? And then you have to say, and when the Bible talks about strengths and the corresponding weaknesses, you have to remember, okay, which side of the pancake stack am I looking at here? Right. So uh, the, the glory of the elderly is their gray head experience. You want, mm-hmm. you want someone in the boardroom who's been in this situation three or four times before. Okay. Um, sure. Th- that's a, that's a strength, but then the weakness corresponding weakness is they may be stuck in their ways. The thing that worked two previous times might not work this time. Well, scripture mm-hmm. uh, uh, and scripture tells us in first John that the glory of young men is their strength, right? They've got energy. They've got, okay, let's, 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 quit sitting around here talking what uh, why don't we do something well that mm-hmm. energy has to be harnessed and directed in wise uh, in wise directions which means that you need the gray heads at the same time the gray heads are going to be tend to be conservative and risk averse 19 um, year old boys are not risk averse right right so you have to that's so, why they make so up the infantry the, <laughs> yeah, that, that's exactly right that's exactly right Okay, so so keeping those things in mind, um, how do they communicate then? I mean, how do you um, how do you get to the point where you're like, okay, it's not your fault, but it is your responsibility to do something. Um, yeah. and, and and there also seems to be um, sort of this uh, this interaction among the older and the younger, where the older kind of don't want to be in leadership, but they don't want to hand off leadership either. So it's kind of like, <laughs> that's right. So, and this is not just the car keys. This is the, yeah. they still want to hold the reins, uh, but they want you to do the work, but they don't want to hear, they don't want to hear the, well, this is 2023, not 1973. Yeah. I'm, I'm handing the responsibility for the company over to you, my boy. Don't change anything. <laughs> 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 well, that's not handing over responsibility. Um, right. So one of the things one of the things that you have to do is say you have uh, you had your opportunity to train the next generation long before the moment came where you had to hand it over. Right. If you're if if you've gotten to the moment of handing it over and you're still worried about what everybody's going to do with it, 
you you missed your shot. You you mm-hmm. needed to you needed to be uh, training and teaching and instructing uh, ten years before. Right. So so then that there needs to be a a confession then of or in a way that is a confession, isn't it? Oh yeah, absolutely. There there mm-hmm. has to be an acknowledgement of of responsibility and fault. Uh, and oh, th- th- this, but, but this leads to the next thing. I think um, one of the things I I want to encourage as a pastor is for every generation, for little kids, teenagers, young people, old people, to be immersed in Scripture, to be mm-hmm. Bible readers, and to be lifelong Bible readers. Now, there are many benefits that come from uh, Bible reading that way. But one of them, and I don't think we think about this enough, one of them is that it provides all the generations with a shared vocabulary. Mm. Okay? A shared vocabulary, shared worldview, shared categories. Because yeah. otherwise, the generations are going to develop their own into, you know, inside baseball talk um, yeah. and their own jargon, their own, um, uh, you know, uh, certain generations know how to communicate typing with their thumbs on a phone and other generations, (laughs) other generations don't know how to do that. And then when you try to cross, when you try to bridge that gap by, you know, stepping into the jargon of, of a generation, not yours, it, it comes across like, hello, fellow kids, you know, (laughs) Um, (laughs) it just doesn't, just doesn't work. But if you have a shared vocabulary, uh, you can communicate there. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So, so that's the prescription pastorally to, for everyone to get on the same page biblically so that that vocabulary, that language of the scriptures and even of the, the, the the church handed down to us is, Mm -hmm. is immersed in everything that we say, do, and think. Um, yes. Also, the uh, reading the scripture gives you a sweep of all of human history where you can mm-hmm. see, you know, we've been here many times before. Um, g- the generational issue is a perennial one. And yeah. you, you read about it. There's a generation that knew not Joseph. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so part of that is, though, um, you know, so I'm you know, I'm born in the seventies, so I'm uh, a young Gen Xer uh, and, you know, right. we can figure out whether or not Gen X actually exists. Um, but, uh, the, the issue is the older taking direction from the younger, even in that office can be a difficulty as well. How do, mm-hmm. how do, how do someone, how do, who, how do younger folks in an office, still bear witness to the the gray hairs in their pews respecting that eldership while also saying uh yeah look um this is a failure that has happened and this is what needs to happen to correct it yeah it's a tightrope first the the, (laughs) it really is a challenge Uh, but it's something that has to it's something that has to be done um Mm -hmm. Paul, Paul tells Timothy, for example, as he's ministering, let no one despise your youth. Okay? Right. Because there, why, why does he have to say that? Well, because there will be some grayheads in the church who will be tempted to do that, and Timothy must not let them. Mm-hmm. Right? And Timothy might feel a little bashful or shy giving, uh, giving counts, biblical counsel to someone who's 40 years older than uh, he is. And, th- mm-hmm. and this is why, uh, and, and the Bible talks about this repeatedly, a prophet is without honor in his own country. Well, why is that? Well, because we remember you, oh prophet, when you were in, kinder- when you were in kindergarten. Don't yeah. tell me what to do. I, I used to babysit you, yeah. right? And Correct. But the Bible says the, the word of God is senior to everybody. Mm-hmm. And one of the one of the psalms I look at when thinking about this uh, generational issue is is Psalm seventy eight, and it really is a striking 
a striking passage because it it begins by talking about, um, uh, for example, in verse three it says, "Which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength, His wonderful works that He hath done." He's established a testimony in Jacob, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born. So he's talking about three or four generations of teaching, right? Mm-hmm. And but, but one of the things that is striking about it is in verse 6, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, verse 7. That they might not, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. Verse eight, and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation. So, one of the reasons parents and grandparents should teach their children diligently is so that their children might learn the Word of God and learn how not to be like their parents or right. grandparents. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, the, there has to be an opportunity for the younger generation to learn from the mistakes of the older generation. Some of that will be the older generation telling them about those mistakes. And some of it will be the older generation teaching the principles and the younger generation just seeing the mistakes. Mm -hmm. So that really is, I mean, perhaps it sounds cliche, but that really is the corrective, just the Bible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Bible, but yeah, it sounds like a Sunday school answer, you know, God, Jesus, Bible, um, yeah. but it really, it really is that. So I've been astonished, and this is probably I shouldn't have been, and this is probably a typical boomer reaction. But when I've said certain, when I've said certain things about clown world, or I've stepped into um, certain controversies, I've been surprised at young people saying the equivalent of "Okay, boomer," and and I think, what does the year I was born have anything to do with what I just said? Mm-hmm. Well, um, it the first thing I should recognize is that it might. Uh, you know, the uh, my boomerness might be invisible to me and visible to others. Right. The blind spots. Uh, the, it could be my blind spot, but it could be the blind spot of the millennial who popped off saying that. Mm-hmm. Right. Sure. He, he, he thinks that I said that because I was born in 53 and I actually said it because I looked it up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so the, the standard by which you judge must always end up coming back to the, to the scriptures to say, is right. he saying this because he's a boomer or is he saying this because he's uh, humbled himself under the word of God? Right. Right. Okay. And you should be open to either possibility. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, because, you know, even when we're we think we're humbling ourselves to God's word, it could be uh, a, a faulty memory. It could be a individualistic interpretation. It could be any number of those things. Right. So, so keeping all of this in mind, you know, building a vocabulary from the scriptures, uh, recognizing that it could be our blind spot, but it could be someone else's. Uh, how do we? continue to engender a, or cultivate, I should say, cultivate a, um, a love of productive building together instead of a, a kind of culture of pointing fingers. Yeah. I think the key is one of the things, that, coming back to the scriptures, one of the things the Bible tells us to do is honor our father and mother. And in and Paul points out in Ephesians 6 that this is the first commandment with a promise, that your life might be long in the land that Lord, the Lord your God is giving you. Uh, and Paul picks it up in, in Deuteronomy 5 and in Exodus 20. It's referring to the land of Canaan. It's referring to Jews and the land of Canaan. Uh, but Paul picks it up and expands it to the whole earth, that your life may be long in the earth that the Lord your God is giving you. Uh, so... The best way through is honor. You you honor your father and mother. And there are times when you have to salute the uniform because you think, well, they failed, in some cases, failed egregiously. But 
the the and I've seen this various times as a as a pastor when let's say parents have failed egregiously and the kids are embittered by it mm-hmm. and the bit and what happens is when kids are embittered by the alcoholic father let's say or the nitpicking mother or what whatever um, and they and they're just bitter and they go off in a huff. They are. They've just drastically increased their chances of marrying someone just like that, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and it's a sort of an uncanny thing. If I'm bitter about an alcoholic father, I am increasing my chances of winding up with an alcoholic husband. And I don't know. I don't know why that works. I'm not sure of the mechanism yet. But uh, sin cascades downhill, and. Yeah. If you if if someone has wronged me, the thing I must do is make sure that that doesn't embitter me because their sin shouldn't rob me of my joy. Right, right. I should I should be walking with the Lord, uh, prepared to forgive them if they seek it, and free of entanglements if they don't seek it, and mm-hmm. honor them where I honor them in every way I can think of, in every way that I can, and if I honor. The, the people above me who blundered or sinned or failed in various ways, honoring them is the way to achieve escape velocity. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't double down and, on the errors of previous generations, right? We don't, mm-hmm. uh, you don't escape um, individualism by, by embracing it yourself. Um, right. You don't, you don't, uh, correct the the failure of say the 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 boomer age that rejected their parents authority and honor by doing the same thing yourself exactly only exactly and that only exasperates it yes and that was is one of the things that the boomer generation sort of invented was disrespect (laughs) for elders (laughs) yeah and and it was a it was a glaring grievous sin on the part of that generation and our generation's representatives. There were many boomers who didn't do that, that weren't in the streets and weren't, you know, fighting the pigs and, you know, mm-hmm. but, but our representatives, the people who sort of typified that generation were very much that way. And now they're mm-hmm. walking into the same, uh, they're walking into the same buzzsaw, but we don't, we don't recognize that, you know, if you're dealing with if if someone responds to listens to this and says you don't understand, Grandpa is a piece of work. You know, the, you know he's just he's just been awful. And I would say, okay, but does he have a story? What what was going on when he was twenty? What was his what were his parents doing? What were they, mm-hmm. what was his what were his grandparents doing? Well, the cha- the chances are pretty good that if you have a lineage of misery. You're, it's a lineage of misery that didn't start with the person you're rebelling against. Mm-hmm. And if you and if you justify your behavior by say, by pointing to the people who mistreated you, then you're justifying their behavior if anybody mistreated them, right? What we're called upon in Scripture is to break the cycle. Right. We need to go in a different direction, do something different. Mm-hmm. Well, and... and Kind of demonstrates that I think you've talked about this. Maybe someone else has that. You know, Scripture doesn't uh, command the husband to be the head; it just asserts it. He is the head, and either he's going to be a good right. head or a poor one. And right. um, and we kind of see this within the generations too. That that if you don't acknowledge anyone as a head, then you're going to end up with a really poor one. Right? So if you mm-hmm. don't if you don't acknowledge scripture as being overall, or you don't then acknowledge what the scriptures then tell you to do in in terms of honoring uh, various other heads, you're going right. to have a head, but it's going to be a bad one, <laughs> destructive. Right. right, it's an inescapable concept. There will be yeah. authority. Yeah. You will be under authority, and your attitude toward the authority you're under is going to help shape what kind of authority you're under. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So speaking to then young men, how do you encourage them not to give in to the 
the the cynicism, the covetousness, the indifference, the solipsism, the entitlement that perhaps they feel, depending on what generation they're in, towards those older generations that that they kind of have that that uh, that difficulty with. Yeah, the chip on their shoulder. Um, yeah. The thing, the thing that I would encourage them to do, depending on their, depending on their age, um, but let's say they're old enough to be a business owner or a leader, uh, uh, an elder, a pastor, an attorney. You know, they're they're of age, right? Mm-hmm. But there's but there's someone over them still treating them like they're sixteen. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the the strategy I would recommend pursuing is seek. The counsel, actively seek the counsel and advice of those above you in age, but make your own decisions instead of, instead of, instead of avoiding that person. Well, if I talk to him, he's going to give me a bunch of unwanted advice and I'm going to find myself not wanting to do anything that he says, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. Um, Instead of doing that, seek him out and ask his advice, ask his counsel. And then if it comes up, say, well, I'm not sure I'm going to do this, but it's really good to hear your perspective. And it's way easier to take counsel and advice from someone when you asked for it than it is to take counsel and advice when the person is volunteering it. And the person might feel impelled to volunteer it because you never asked for it. Right. Um, And so that's one of the ways of breaking the cycle, one of the Mm -hmm. ways of getting out. Yeah. This is really hard, I think, for like my generation. You know, I kind of grew up being a latchkey kid, and I mean, I love my folks; they're great. Um, and not just because my mom is probably going to listen to this, uh, right? <laughs> but uh, um, so there were a lot of things that you know I just had to do on my own, and so I so I don't necessarily think to ask for advice unless it's right. you know a, a friend who came out of the seminary at the same time or something like that. Right. Um, so you're suggesting actually to take the time to say, um, even though you might be have your mind made up, just seek those out who are older to say, hey, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah. Dad, I'm thinking about buying a, a, a Ford this time. We're going to get a new car. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking about buying a Ford. Um, and I'm, I've worked through a bunch of this, but you know a lot about cars. What, what's, your, what's your advice? And use that word advice, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? You're not saying... What's your command, oh, oh, dictator? You're yeah. you're seeking you're seeking out advice, and it's going to be a lot easier for him to give it, and a lot easier for you to take it uh, if you're the one that in, you're the one that initiates. Correct. So, then speaking to the older generation, how do you, uh, particularly if you're a pastor or you know a leader in in some way, how do you? Um, help teach the older generation to give advice in a way that that uh, the the younger generation will hear it or respect it or or things like that. I, I would encourage pastors to use little scenarios, imaginary scenarios, uh, parables in their sermons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So here's over here's small one of things like the Ford, like you're saying, not like the uh-huh. big things necessarily. Yeah. Practice on the Ford. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, or here's another way here would be a, a thing going the other direction an admonition to the, to the older folks um, I've, and I've done this in sermons before imagine a conversation uh, during Thanksgiving after Thanksgiving is over and the kids are driving back to their home kids and grandkids are driving back to their home Friday after Thanksgiving and here's the conversation on the front porch you could, you guys could stay another couple of days. Why don't you stay another? Why don't you ever stay another couple of days? And thought bubble over their head is because of conversations like this one. <laughs> in in other words, uh, I would say to the older people, uh, when an inch is offered, don't take a mile. Yeah. Right. You, you just be when someone shows initiative, receive the gift gratefully. And just be grateful, and don't try to don't parlay it, don't try to parlay it into some bigger uh, ambition of yours. Mm-hmm. And let's say if, so. If I use an example like that in a sermon, there are lots of places to plug that in. Sure. Okay. So 
build on the small things to 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 give a picture of kind of even bigger an- animosities that that may happen within within the generations yes. so they can yeah. they can practice the skill on kind of um i guess you'd say like low tension situations so that when they find themselves in a, a perhaps more high tension um high stakes situation um they've already practiced the skill yeah let's say great grandpa dies and you're ta- the family is talking about the apportionment of a property or two worth three quarters of a million dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, you do not want that conversation to be the first conversation in which you tried these things. <laughs> right. <laughs> Pro tip. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like this comes from personal knowledge. <laughs> yes. I've, I've, I've seen stuff just like this. It's just amazing. Yeah. Okay, so um, so what responsibility then does each generation have to just owning up to what their blind spots are, what we just don't get and understand about the other generation without it coming off as a complaint of the faults we're seeing in other generations? Does that make sense? I think so. Um, you, you don't want a faux humility that pretends that you see and understand nothing, mm-hmm. right? And you don't right. want a, a faux confidence that pretends that other generations see and understand nothing. Right. Um, every, every Christian who is, is being taught and schooled in true humility understands that he sees some things that other people don't, and other people see things that he doesn't. Mm-hmm. It's a body life thing. And I, go into every, I should go into every situation prepared to acknowledge that in principle. I might not have the whole picture. And so when, yeah. when you go into a, um, a, a possible confrontation with, well, this would tr- be true of anybody, but really true when you go into a possible confrontation with someone who is a, 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 of another generation, okay? I, I urge people all the time, go into a conversation like that, making, uh, asking questions, not making assertions. Mm-hmm. Okay, you want to you want to have your first conversation be one where you're asking them what they think about thus and such, not asserting yeah. that they think this about thus and such. Mm-hmm. And if I'm asking questions, it's a posture of structural. It's a it's a posture of structural humility. And yeah. and and if they get their back up, I can say no, no. I'm just I'm simply asking the question. I'm not asserting mm-hmm. anything. I, yeah. I came to you because I wanted to hear from you, and yeah. after you tell me, after you tell me, I will think about it and pray about it seriously, and then we can come back and talk more. But right now, I'm yeah. not asserting; I'm, I'm just asking. Yeah, yeah, and I would add on to that: uh, avoiding why questions, uh, or, yeah. or at least trying to rephrase the why question to be like, you know, so what? What? What reasons do you have for that? Or what leads you to think that? Or instead of ask, I mean, almost universally, people hear "why" questions as an accusation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's really true. So, in a sense, it sounds like um, we need to really take a look at also how, how the Bible teaches justice and equity. Then, when yes. when you when you mention uh, asking questions versus making assertions. Uh, or uh, taking an interest in finding out more, that that we really need to take the the, the scripture seriously in establishing a just way of dealing with anything and dealing mm-hmm. with things in, in fairness. So, yeah. so, so, how do the scriptures lay that out for us? Yeah, um, I think that one of the best things we can do is realize that the toddlers in your home are your brothers and sisters in Christ. They're your children, mm-hmm. but they're also your brothers brothers and sisters. And that, so you learn to think that way looking downstream, and you learn to think that way looking upstream. Yeah. So when, when a, a backyard squabble spills into the house, Proverbs 18.17 applies, uh, mm-hmm. which is one man's side seems really plausible until you hear the other side. <laughs> uh, right. 
you, you don't listen to one person's account and then start in with spankings. Um, mm -hmm. What you do is you say, okay, that's what you say. Let's see what your brother has to say. And you ask, you, you deal with these sorts of things judicially, applying script, scriptural principles, no matter how old anybody is, right? Yeah, um, yeah. So, and that means when you hear, when your older sister tells you that grandma said thus and such, well, you don't know that yet. Let's say it's an inflammatory thing. You, d you don't know that yet. You need to talk to grandma. Scripture exactly. teaches us. Uh, scripture teaches us that it is a uh, sin to believe lies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So you've got, uh, I mean, even in Proverbs, what, I think it's 1813, that you know those who confess their transgressions will obtain mercy, uh, for, uh, who confess and forsake their transgression will obtain mercy, but those who hide them, you know, do not find any profit. Right. And then Proverbs 17.4 says, A wicked doer giveth heed to false lips. So it's not just a sin to tell lies. It's a, mm -hmm. it's a sin to listen to, listen to them. And, yeah. and so basically I've got to realize that sort of um, God's love of equity and justice is something that applies no matter who I'm talking to. If I'm, yeah. I might be talking to a Samaritan, I might be talking to a black man, I might be talking to a Jew, I might be talking to a boomer, but God's principles of justice apply, period. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, so we see that even in the garden. Yes. Our, our God knows what happened. He knows all things, and yet he offers opportunity for confession by yes. asking questions. Where are you? What have you done? Did you eat? Uh-huh. Okay. Absolutely. So that posture then is, I mean, would you say that's giving the benefit of the doubt or is, what's that frame of mind so that, how would you describe that frame of mind so that the various generations can understand what you're trying to get at? I'm, I would describe that frame of mind as judicious and stable. Mm-hmm. Un, unflappable. Yeah. Um, so you don't you don't have to worry that that this sentence is being ha handed down or this judgment is being delivered because so and so saw red. That's yeah. the last thing. The, the, that's not what's happening. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, stable. That's a really great image. It it's uh, uh, yeah unshakable. So that the things that can be shaken can. Uh, will be, yeah. but those things that can remain and stand will, will remain and stand. Yes. Yeah. Um, in terms of, well, so we've talked about uh, including the scriptures as our uh, shared vocabulary. Uh, we've talked about um, the, the strategies of seeking counsel, uh, but make your own decisions or uh, when you've been given an inch, don't take a mile. Right. Uh, we've talked about justice. Um, is there anything that else that you'd want to point to in terms of recognizing these uh, generational blind spots or animosities that that we are we ourselves can take steps to to remedy in 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 the spheres of action or agency that the Lord has actually granted? Um, yes, I would say um, make sure you relativize, scripturally relativize your solidarity lines. Okay. okay? What um, do you mean by that? We live, uh, so we live in a time that wants to, uh, we live in a time which, which is trying to foment and aggravate tribal identities. Mm -hmm. um, and, you identify as a um, as a woman, or as a trans, or as a black lesbian, or as mm -hmm. so. This is critical theory applied to everything. Your identification um, is sort of paramount, and for the Christian, yeah. it never. It for a Christian, it never is. So if mm -hmm. you if you took one of the basic um, binary divisions that's going on now feminism and, and male and female, um, 
I have far more in common with a woman who is seeking to follow Christ in humility than I do with a man who is being arrogant. Mm. Okay. So mm-hmm. here's another, here's another illustration of this. If, um, if we have false solidarities, so let's say there's a, a two, a four lane highway, uh, two lanes heading East, two lanes heading West and the Westbound uh, ends in the abyss and the eastbound ends in the celestial city. And then mm-hmm. on each of the four lanes, you have a Ford and a Chevy, uh, dri- you know, driving alongside each other, a Ford and a Chevy in one lane driving to the celestial city and a Ford and a Chevy driving the other way to the abyss. When they pass each other, if the two guys in the Ford honk and wave at each other, then they've got a false sense of solidarity. <laughs> Okay. I'm going to heaven. You're going to hell. But see, at least see, we're, at least we're driving like in a Fords. Ford. We like Fords. And if the guys in <laughs> if the guys in the Chevy do the same thing, they're they've got a false sense of solidarity. The yeah. the Ford driver and the Chevy driver should say, you know, we're going to the celestial city together. We have far more in common. The, we have the road in common. We have our direction in common. Uh, we are taking different avenues to get there. We belong, we're, we're driving in different cars, but we're going to the same place. Well, if, uh, if a humble black man and a humble white man recognize this, they're driving to the celestial city together and mm-hmm. you, you're not going to have, uh, the, you know, the white identity, uh, or the black identity sort of, um, overwhelm that identity in Christ. Yeah. So um, I, I need to understand that the people, everyone who loves God and wants to worship him faithfully on the Lord's day, I look around yeah. on Lord's day, Lord's day worship. And I look at a congregation and I'm looking at toddlers and gray heads and teenagers and men and women. I'm looking at all sorts, looking at different ethnicities. I'm looking at all sorts but we're here worshiping the Lord together. That needs to be my baseline. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and if that's my baseline, then I'm not going to read some story off the internet of some internet rando who happens to share my political convictions and gender and use that as a basis for starting a fight with another Christian. Yeah. So where does then the, um, it, pretty sure it's Romans nine where you have that kind of natural affection that Paul has for mm-hmm. his brothers in the flesh. Where mm-hmm. does that come in then along those lines in terms of on the one hand, yes, relativize those solidarity lines and, and not um, be given to tribal identities, but at the same time have that affection towards those whom you would recognize as your own, so to speak. Um, oh, sure. And, and, and not, um, not lose the 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 zeal to to correct them. Yeah, that, and Paul is a great example because he he loved his kinsmen according to the flesh to the point where he would have been willing to go to hell for them if that were possible. Right, right. I'm not right. quite willing to do that, but <laughs> yeah, not there yet. But he he certainly <laughs> was, and he was. same. The same way that Moses was, blot me out of your book, spare them and blot me out of your book. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I, I look at that and I say, okay, he had an intense natural affection, but he didn't let it get in the way of him preaching the gospel that was driving his kinsmen, according to the flesh, into a fury. Right. Or, right. So you can see how he how he ranked these things. And if someone says, Oh, you, you know, um, I'm, I'm of, uh, I'm white heterosexual boomer of Scott's descent. Okay. Mm-hmm. If someone said, Do you, are you grateful uh, for, are you grateful that you're Scottish and white? And I say, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for that. And I, do I have an affection for it? Yeah. I've, I have an affection for the language, for the culture, for the music, for the food. I'm, I'm grateful for all of it. I really love, I love being where God put me. But, mm-hmm. and this is the important, um, um, it's like two guys in a Hallmark uh, card store. 
they don't get into a fist fight in the aisle there because one guy saw the other guy pick up a card that says to the world's greatest mom. Um, right. and he's, <laughs> and he slaps it out of his hand and says, you have no right to that card. I've got the world's greatest mom. Well, we'd say that's ridiculous. Both of them should be grateful for their mothers and both of them should think that their mother is the world's greatest mom. And if I'm thinking of it the right way, if I'm really grateful for my mom, then I should understand fully why another man would feel that way about his mom. Right. And if I'm grateful uh, to be a Scot- uh, an American of Scottish descent, and then I run into a South Korean who is has the same sort of warm affection for his culture and language and people and cuisine and all of that, I understand him. I don't get in a fight with him. Mm-hmm. Getting in a fight with him is like the fight in the Hallmark store. Uh, right. It makes, it, makes, it makes no sense. I understand a, a patriot is someone who has, is grateful for and affectionate toward his own people, his own kin. A yeah. jingoist, a jingoist or a xenoph- uh, xenophobe is someone who is, we're number one, we're number one, you guys stink. Uh, that, mm-hmm. that, of course, is sinful, wicked. Yeah. That's the point of idolatry where we, we think we love our country because we think that it's literally never made a mistake. I, I mean, I love my country and my parents despite the mistake because it's mine, because it's, it's right. what's been given to me. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so keeping all that in mind, uh, all the things that we've discussed, um, what, what are some final thoughts, some final takeaways that you'd give to kind of each generation according to their kind of things to remember, uh, and things to focus on? Like, so if you were going to wrap up that sermon, uh, how would that sound? It would sound like um, uh, it's going to sound like uh, me me drawing on my uh, my past from the seventies, as the hippies used to tell us, "Bloom where you're planted." I, I would <laughs> <Okay>. say, <laughs> I, I would say that I've, I'm I'm preaching to people uh, to a, a wide congregation, and I would say, "Look, you are to follow Christ where He has placed you, and mm-hmm. if He's placed you as a fifteen year old." or as a 22-year-old, or as an 85-year-old, it's possible to glorify God through obedience in that station, right? Yeah. Um, I, so I'm, I've made this comment before. I've, I believe in the divine right of sophomores to be sophomoric. Mm-hmm. Um, teenage boys are supposed to be full of beans. That's what they do, Yeah. right? <laughs> And, and oh, so I, I know I have I have a house full of them now, and uh, yeah. this is a, a common phrase that you know my my wife will look at me like what's going on I'm like they're they're teenage boys this is what they yeah. do <laughs> yeah this is a feature not a bug yeah that's right, right? <laughs> and and at the same time I'd say look if you're uh, you know if you're following if if you're 17 and you're following a little old lady out of the sanctuary and she's got a walker and she's mm-hmm. going slower than, and she's going slower than you would like. Well, deal with it because you're going faster than she would like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? the, um, she is being obedient in her station. And, yeah. but, but at the same time, you can be just the way you are and be obedient in your station. So yeah. too often, and this is, this comes up a lot, in discussion between the sexes as well, because that's another huge gulf. So if a man is trying to explain something uh, to his wife and she's just not getting it, it's just an alien thing uh, to her that anybody could think that way. Um, You know, and there are any number of examples I could give, but if that's happening, he should say, look, there are two things that are going on here. I need to budget in our conversation. I need to budget for you being the way you are, but I'm because that's how this is what God gave us at the same time. I'm going to budget for the way I am. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's not you be you in a dismissive sort of way. It's let let's us be us the way God Mm -hmm. made us. Right. 
and and so if the elderly uh, look with affection on the young ones who are full of beans, and if the middle-aged people look affectionately on the on the older folks who are reluctant to give things up, they should humility will say, you know, in just thirty years, I'm going to be reluctant to give up things, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? And if you're trying to deal with grandpa, you need to say, number one, yeah, kids, this, this is a challenging family situation. But then you turn to your kids and say, you have my permission beforehand. When I start acting like that, sit on my head. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, this is a, uh, a common conversation uh, either at our dinner table or or during devotion time where I'm just like, when we're going through a bit of scripture, it's like, you know, one of these days, boys, you are probably going to have to remind me of this and uh-huh. you should do it, right? This is, yeah. this is um, your permission, but it's, it's definitely your vocation. Uh, when you get older and I've aged to the point where I'm being silly me, um, uh, you sh- I want you, I want to raise you to have the courage to say it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Doug, thanks for your time and thanks for all the work you do, uh, Canon Plus and, and everywhere. It's, uh, uh, it's, a, it's a good time of year to uh, check all those things out because it's no quarter November and you're burning things up. So yeah. um, there we go. Yeah. So <laughs> thanks so much. All right. God bless. Thanks for the invitation. <laughs>